Welcome back to the podcast. In this episode, we'll give a little bit of a recap of what's going on in the NBA playoffs. Are the Los Angeles Lakers done? They go down 3-2 to the Phoenix Suns, and Anthony Davis' health is uncertain, but another injury in that series might turn the tide. Also, Denver versus Portland. Damian Lillard's clearly the backpack in this Portland Trailblazers team, but will it be enough to force a Game 7 and win Game 7? Also, Danny H. is retiring. Brad Stevens is now head of basketball operations. What is the future looking like for the Boston Celtics? Also, legendary Coach K announcing that he's going to retire after this upcoming season. You want to take a little bit of a look, looking back at his fantastic career? Hey, is he considered the greatest college basketball coach of all time? Also, going to look into Julio Jones saga. Reportedly, there are three teams left. And one team might not have been one you've been thinking of. Also, I'm going to give my usual MLB trash can and team of the week. All right, here we go. All right, so let's get started with this news coming out of Boston. Danny Ainge is now retiring after a pretty nice career as a player and a general manager. And head coach Brad Stevens is now... Got to fill in that role as head of basketball operations. Looking back at Danny Ainge's career as general manager of the Boston Celtics, it wasn't that bad. It wasn't that bad. He had some pretty good moves in his career. He made that Kevin Garnett trade early on to form, help form that big three. Also after making that move for Ray Allen. They also got only got one championship out of it, but at the end of the day, those are some pretty big moves for him. And it led to great things for the Boston Celtics during that time of the Big Three era. And later on, he made a pretty, he made probably the end, the heist of the century, and the Kevin Garnett, Paul Pierce trade to Brooklyn to acquire all those assets from the Brooklyn Nets, including a gazillion first round picks and seeds like. Also, the Kyrie Irving move was pretty solid until it wasn't solid. <laughs> you get what I'm saying, but. Again, that was more on Kyrie not staying. As for Danny Age, Danny Age made the kind of, really made the right move trying to get Kyrie. Unfortunately, that move didn't pan out that well. And of course, drafting getting guys like Jason Tatum, Jalen Brown, who are going to be cornerstones for your team for a long period of time. Now, uh, he also had some questionable moves. I mean, like the Kimball Walker signing. I don't think that was probably the best move to make at the time. Probably could have stuck it out with Terry Rozier, who was a very solid point guard in the NBA. Look at what he's done in Charlotte in the past couple of years. He's played pretty, pretty freaking well down in Charlotte. Kemba has exactly panned out here in Boston. Also, the Tristan Thompson signing was kind of a questionable question mark as well. Obviously, that one did not work out at all. And you're stuck with him for a few for a little while longer. But now I want to talk about Brad Stevens being promoted to head of basketball operations. And it feels like everybody's known this for a while. It's just now getting out there because the way the Celtics have been playing the past couple of months, it just feels like there wasn't exactly a Brad Stevens coach team. I mean, the past couple of years, you see the Celtics under Brad Stevens in the top five or four in the Eastern Conference. This year, they fell down to seven. Had to go through that playing tournament. 
he got knocked out first round by Brooklyn in five games. It just felt like didn't seem like the same Boston teams we've been used to seeing under Brad Stevens as of late. So I wonder how long they've known that this move was going to happen. And maybe Brad Stevens lost the locker room. We don't know. What I got to say now for, I'm very skeptical of this move of Brad Stevens being promoted. Because it feels like they're trying to pull like Pat Riley here. Maybe hire a guy who comes in and plays plays head operations, then becomes a head coach later down the line when he needs to. But I'm still very questionable about this move from the Boston Celtics. It's very unclear where the Celtics go from here. It's very interesting. It could be really, really good or really, really bad. But you still have Jason Tatum, who's still Jalen Brown, still have a bunch of young players. I would trade Kemba, trade Marcus Smart, get some assets back, and move on. That's all I'll say about the Boston Celtics. All right, moving on to Phoenix and Los Angeles Lakers. So, if you watched the game I watched last night, you would have saw that this Lakers team, even with LeBron James still on the court, without Anthony Davis, is far outclassed. They are far outclassed. And it showed in a 115-85 to domination of the from the Phoenix Suns over the Lakers. The Suns now hold a 3-2 series lead over the Los Angeles Lakers. But the only thing that didn't go right for this team was the Chris Paul getting injured again in the shoulder. And it's terrible. It sucks. Because Chris Paul has been a looked really good in Game 4. He looked great in Game 4. Looked like he was healthy again. Then coming to Game 5. And now he's hurt again. Now I'm kind of interested to see what happens with that shoulder come Thursday. On the other side, you got to look at Anthony Davis's injury with his groin injury. And you got to wonder, by some miracle, will he play in game six of this series? Because, let's face it, I love LeBron, but LeBron doesn't exactly look like LeBron. Le- I mean... If AD does not play in Game 6, it's time for the real LeBron James to stand up. Because the LeBron James I have seen throughout this entire series so far against Phoenix hasn't looked like the actual LeBron James. It looks like I'm watching... like I don't know what to think of this LeBron James we're looking at right now. Has Father Time finally caught up to LeBron James? I don't know. But at the end of the day, the real LeBron James needs to stand up. With or without Davis, the real LeBron James needs to stand up. Because if I'm being completely honest right now, for the for the sake of the Lakers, I mean, well, I guess not for the sake of the Lakers, but to be brutally honest to the Lakers, fans, this team, as constructed right now, is probably worse than the 2018 Cavaliers which was LeBron's last Cavaliers team. Hard to believe, but I honestly think this Lakers team right now as constructed without LeBron AD would lose to the 2018 Cavaliers. I'm just saying, it looks that bad for the Lakers. 
role players aren't playing the aren't exactly being the supporting cast has exactly been supportive this whole series. I mean, Dennis Schroeder, he had freaking nothing worth value. I still can't believe that man turned out $84 million to put up zero points in a critical game five of a tied series against the number two seed in the West. But, you know, it is what it is. But like I said, with or without AD, game six, LeBron James needs to stand. The real LeBron James must stand up. Do I think this series goes seven games without LeBron James playing like LeBron or a healthy Anthony Davis? No. Maybe they have a chance at game six if Chris Paul doesn't play, depending on how Booker, Aiden, who have been playing fantastic in this series, by the way, how they play in game six, a chance to close out the defending champs. Thursday night is going to be the biggest game of the year for the Lakers. If they, and for all your LeBron James fans out there who just follow the Lakers, follow LeBron where he went, this is big for y'all too. Because I don't want to hear nothing about LeBron James if he loses this series. Because losing that first round series is the only thing y'all had when comparing Jordan and LeBron. Jordan, that all. LeBron never won if lost a first round series, but Jordan has. What are you gonna say if LeBron loses this one? If LeBron loses this series, what do you have to say? What do you have to say? Y'all have nothing to say. But to close it out, will I think the series go seven? If LeBron James shows up and plays like LeBron, we've all watched growing up. All the LeBron we've seen play throughout his entire career. We need that LeBron. We need LeBron, Game 6, Miami versus Boston Celtics. If you watch basketball for as long as I have, you know, you know. You know, you know. The Lakers are going to need LeBron to be that LeBron. If they're going to have a chance to send this series to, to 7. Without, potentially, Anthony Davis. I mentioned earlier that the Brooklyn Nets have finished off the Boston Celtics in five games to move on to the second round, and now they have a date with my pick to win the NBA championship this year, the Milwaukee Bucks. And when Saturday hits, this is going to be fun. That's going to be a fun series to watch, man. It's going to be a, an amazing series. You got... The immovable object versus the unstoppable force with these two teams in the Eastern Conference. And I'm going to say it right now. The winner of this series will win the NBA Finals. I don't want to hear nothing about it. The winner of this series will win the championship this year. So let's just go back and look at how these two teams got to where they are right now. So for the Bucks, their first round matchup. They had to go up against the team that knocked them out last year in the Miami Heat. And it definitely was nowhere near the same story. The Milwaukee Bucks absolutely dominated the Heat in games two, three, and four after winning a close overtime game in game one 
to move on to the second round. The Miami Heat defense was nowhere near as good as last year's defense. So Giannis absolutely dominated in the paint. He put up numbers that we're used to seeing him put up. Chris Middleton was outstanding this series. And the X factor this series that really changed the dynamic for the Milwaukee Bucks this year, Drew Holiday. He also had one heck of a series as well. And that also, you got guys like Brian Forbes that stepped up big time, hit some big time shots. I think he had like 22 in game four in the closeout game. So he definitely hit some shots. The Bucks defense was absolutely outstanding in that series. Giannis guarding Jimmy Butler. Jimmy Butler could not get going at all in that series, which was one of the big things that cost them last year in the bubble. Jimmy Butler going off. Giannis and the Bucks defense were able to contain Jimmy Butler. Bam Adebayo did not have a great series either for the Miami Heat. And neither did, I think nobody really had a great series for the Miami Heat. That Bucks defense did an absolutely amazing job shutting down the Miami Heat's offense and taking advantage of the flaws that the Miami Heat defense had in this series. Now for the Brooklyn Nets. They had a pretty awesome series, but not in the way you think. They had to go to five games against Boston because of a game three. Jason Tatum decided to go completely bonkers and drop 50 on Brooklyn. But other than that, Brooklyn was just too much for Boston. The big three's offense was just insane. I think everybody in that big three dropped at least 20 a night in every every one of those five games. James Harden looked absolutely outstanding coming back. Kevin Durant did Kevin Durant think. Hey, Kyrie, he got the final laugh from Boston against Boston. You know Kyrie had to feel good after that one. You know he had to feel good after beating Boston, especially how that relationship between Kyrie and Boston ended. So, and Boston just had no answers for that offense whatsoever. And led to a gentleman's sweep, which was Nets in five. Now, how I see this series playing out is going to be really, really interesting because Giannis versus the Nets this year is averaging near 40 points. It's like 39.7 or something like that. It's damn near 40 points. So it's going to be interesting to see how the Nets defense, which isn't particularly a strength of this ball club, how are they going to contain Giannis? I don't think they can. Obviously, they can't just build a wall around them anymore because now if you got to have guys like Drew Holiday hitting shots and Milton hitting shots and Brian Forbes, if he keeps shooting the ball the way he's shooting, you can't exactly just focus completely on Giannis if you got guys around Giannis hitting the shots like they did against Miami. On the other side, it's going to be to see how the defensive matchups work for the Milwaukee Bucks. Does Giannis take the assignment of Kevin Durant? Probably. Drew Holiday's got to take either Kyrie or James Harden. That just leaves who's going to guard either James Harden or Kyrie Irving. I don't know. I, I'll let Mike Boonholzer figure that one out. He had He's had a long time to think about that one. Because he got rid of the Miami Heat quickly. He just got to sit back and watch. 
So hopefully Mike Blutenholzer has some sort of plan to combat this offense for Brooklyn. It's not just the big three either. You got Joe Harris who can knock down a few shots here and there. Bruce Brown's been solid all year long. It's going to be interesting to see how they combat that. Very potent offense for the Brooklyn Nets. I have this series going the distance. I said this in my playoff prediction episode. If you haven't listened to that one, go check it out. I said if it's Milwaukee versus Brooklyn, Milwaukee would win this game in seven. But looking at what the Bucks did to the Miami Heat and what Brooklyn did to Boston, I still think it goes seven games. I really do. And I'm going to stick with my pick. I think Milwaukee will win this game, this series in a competitive seven-game series. I really do. At the end of the day, I think Milwaukee's defense is just really good. They took two out of three this year against Brooklyn, so we'll see how it goes. So, yeah, I got Milwaukee win this series in seven. It's going to be an all-time classic series. And don't be surprised if you see some all-time great performances from the Stars in this series. There will be some all-time great performances in this series, without a doubt. Bucks and seven, they're going to the Eastern Conference Championship Series. All right, on to another fascinating series that's going on currently right now in the Western Conference, Denver and Portland. So... Last night, we saw probably what has been probably going to be considered one of the all-time great performances by Damian Lillard. Damian Lillard last night dropped a nice 55 points. But unfortunately, they lost. Portland lost. So, that being said, it's going to be (laughs) Denver's now 3-2 after a double overtime win over Damian Lillard's 55. and. Portland Trailblazers. Jokic in this game had a nice 38-point game, 11 rebounds, 9 assists. He almost had a triple-double in this game, so Jokic (laughs) definitely was no slouch in this one either. Michael Porter Jr. also had a nice solid bounce-back game after a rocky Game 4 performance. He had 26 points in this game, including a few big shots down the stretch, including one... We're hitting the corner in double overtime to that pretty much set up the final nail in the coffin for the Portland Trailblazers. So, when you look at this Portland team, you have to understand, it's kind of obvious at this point that Damon Lillard has been backpacking this team for a while now. I mean, I think the next closest scorer on this ball club uh, under Damien's 55 was Robert Covington. And he had 19. So the second highest scorer on this team didn't even score 20. And yes, I know there's more to basketball than scoring. So obviously, Dame had a lot of help out there. Covington, like I mentioned earlier, he had a few defensive, solid defensive plays out there. CJ McCollum, who had 18 in this game, had some shots here and there that were pretty big down the stretch. But at the end of the day, the supporting cat, I think the entirety of the Denver team, Stepped up more, if you know what I'm saying, than Damien's sporting cast down the stretch. 
If you get what I'm saying? I think Mike Malone pressed absolutely all the right buttons when it came to his rotation in this game. As compared to Terry Scott, who I feel like just threw whoever and whenever out there to try to get something going uh, for Portland out there. So, for Portland, they are now down 3-2. I thought they would win this series in 6, so that's clearly not the case now. So, looking at it now, do I think that Denver is going to win this series, or am I going to stick with Portland? I still think this series will go 7. I think I don't think Damian Lillard is going to allow them to lose in at home. This series will be going back to Denver for seven. I honestly believe that they will not lose. I don't think Portland will lose Game Six. Portland will win Game Six. Lillard is going to go absolutely bonkers again. Hopefully, guys like CJ McCollum, Robert Covington, Melo do a little more in the scoring department to give him a little bit, a little bit of a breather because. Damian Lillard should have to score 55 just to keep you alive in a ball game. You had all the chances in the world. <laughs> Thanks to Dame. So, y'all got to help him out a little bit. I still think the Blazers can win this series in seven. I really do. I really think they can still win this series in seven. I just think that Damian Lillard just needs a little more help. If he gets a little bit more production out of guys like McCollum, Covington, Melo, Nurkic, they're going to win this series in seven. End story. All right. Now in Philadelphia, there's not so great news. Joel Embiid is injured with a slight meniscus tear in his right knee. You saw in game three, game four, Joel Embiid got injured in that game. It was out with right knee soreness, and now his diagnosis is a slight meniscus tear in the right knee. That's not great news for Philadelphia, because even though he's listed day-to-day by the Philadelphia 76ers, this injury is not exactly a day-to-day type injury. This is an injury where he can get treatment on it, but it could, and it could be a potential surgery-required injury. It could be requiring some surgery. So, I don't expect him to play in Game 5 of this series. So, the biggest question for the Philadelphia Civic Sisters is, can guys like Ben Simmons and Tobias Paris pick up the slack on the offensive side of the basketball? I We know they're capable of doing this. We saw Tobias Harris do it in Game 1 when he dropped 37 in Game 1. Ben Simmons, we've seen the past, we've seen him drop 40 before. We've seen him drop 30 points. But in this series, he's been a little bit lackluster on the offensive side of the basketball. Yes, I understand he's great defensively, but he needs to start doing more on the offensive side of the basketball. We've seen games where he gets aggressive and he can get 30 points, 40 points. Heck, I think he even has a 50-point game in his career. So... For Philadelphia, if Joel Embiid can't play, this is a whole different team. They're definitely not a one seed. They're not definitely not going to look like a one seed. 
without Joel Embiid. So can Simmons and Tobias Harris and the rest of these guys step up, make plays, make shots, pick up the slack a little bit? I do think they will finish off Washington tonight. That will that will be a pretty much a give give or take. Tim Philly, they're at home. They don't want to play around in Washington anymore. I think they'll take care of business tonight. I honestly think they will. But going forward, if Joel Embiid can't play with this injury, can Ben Simmons, can Tobias Harris, can the rest of these guys step up, do the jobs, and beat a winner of the Hawks and Knicks series? Possibly. Won't be as easy, but they probably will. They probably weren't going to beat Brooklyn or Milwaukee without, with or without Embiid anyway. So, the question is, can they even get there now? So, Philadelphia, hopefully Joel Embiid finds some Lasher's pit somewhere to heal himself or something because without him, it's all just a waste of a one seat. Let's be honest. Embiid is your team. Unless Ben Simmons and Tobias Harris step up their game. All right, on to Jazz and Grizzlies. So, the story of this series so far for the Utah Jazz has been the return of Donovan Mitchell from his injury. Obviously, game one, he did not play, and the offense didn't look as great for the Utah Jazz as they lost game one thanks to, obviously, great performances from John Moran and Dylan Brooks. But since he's come back, the Jazz offense has been absolutely potent. Everything's clicking on all cylinders. Mike Conley's been hitting some great shots. Bogdanovich hits shots here and there. Rudy Gobert is doing his job down low. The offense looks smooth for the Utah Jazz. Like I mentioned, Mike Conley has been absolutely terrific in this series. And it seems like every time they need a big shot, so far, especially in the last game, Mike Conley has been that guy to hit the shots to get that team rolling to close out the last three games. The Grizzlies, on the other hand, they've had some great performances individually, but as a team, I think they're just a little bit too young. This team has a bright future, but down 3-1, heading to a hostile Salt Lake City, I think they're done. I think they're going to be done. They play tonight. I think they're going to be finished. I don't think there's any way, unless somehow John Moran and Dylan Brooks somehow have absolutely outstanding ball games and go completely bonkers and catch the Jazz on an off night, I don't think they win game five. I think the series is over. Knicks and Hawks, again, another series with another team down 3-1, the New York Knicks. Who I picked to win this series, they have been absolutely disappointing, especially Julius Randle. Julius Randle, so far this series, hasn't exactly been playing great so far. The Knicks offense has definitely not been potent at all outside of Derrick Rose. <laughs> I think everybody on the Knicks offensively owes Derrick Rose an apology for not helping him. I mean, he's 32. But on the other hand, the Hawks' offense has been absolutely outstanding, led by Trey Young. Obviously, you got Trey Young doing his thing. Capella's been playing well. 
Bogdanovich hit some shots here and there. DeAndre Hunter has been playing pretty well. Gallinari is hitting his shots. Gallinari, but I don't know. I know you're probably not listening to this podcast, but Gallinari, please get rid of that weird mohawk thing you got going. It just doesn't look good, by the way. But besides that, the Hawks have been playing fantastic. Heck, even the Hawks' defense has been great. I completely underestimated this Hawks' defense going into this series. I felt like the Knicks were going to use their physicality and absolutely bully the Hawks down down low in the paint and just be the more physical team. But I was completely wrong so far. The Hawks have been more phys- the more physical team. They've been aggressive. They've been, <laughs> they've been forcing the Knicks to take some really tough shots. And for the Knicks, even when they have good shots, they're not making them. That's been the key of this series so far. And now it le- it's down to this. Knicks are down 3-1, and they're at home in the Garden. It's going to be interesting to see how they respond. But I think the Hawks will finish off the Knicks in New York City, and Knicks fans can go back under their rocks. <laughs> go back to where they came from because I'm tired of hearing Knicks fans. I really am. I really am tired of hearing Knicks fans. They're probably the most annoying fans in North American sports. End of story. <laughs> so, yeah. Jazz and Grizzlies. I think the Grizzlies get finished off tonight by the Jazz. Knicks and Hawks. I think the Hawks finish off the Knicks. It's going to be interesting to see how those two move perform in the second round of this series. Oh, well, playoffs, not series. But you get what I mean. Last series I want to talk about real quick, because this one has been a fascinating one so far, is the Dallas Mavericks and the Los Angeles Clippers matchup, which is now tied at two apiece. The series is now tied two apiece after strong performances in Game 3 and 4 from Paul George and Kawhi Leonard. But another big issue for the Mavericks so far in the past two games has been Luka's health. Obviously, Luka's been dealing with a neck strain for the past two games. And it definitely looks like it's affected his game. Game three, he didn't look the same going down the stretch. Obviously, he wasn't playing like Luka we've been (laughs) used to seeing against the Clippers as of late. And in game four, he just did not look himself at all, dealing with a lot of pain. It's going to be interesting to see tonight how he deals, how he looks after two days off, get a chance to rehab and rest. And see how he bounces back in Game 5. For the Clippers, you got the momentum. You won two in a row. You're back home in L.A. You got to bounce. You got to hop in that momentum. You got to snatch the momentum and run with it. Because if you even give the Mavericks a little bit of hope, if you lose Game 5 tonight, if you lose Game 5, and you go back to Dallas down 3-2, and Lucas even healthier, you're all in trouble. You're all in serious trouble. Because if Luca is healthy again, he's going to torture you all again. He's going to torture you all again. That's just as simple as that. It's as simple as that. Another thing for the Mavericks, though, when they need the role players to step up again. Finney Smith needs to start hitting more shots. Tim Hardaway needs to start hitting more shots. KCP, who has been pretty much horrendous in the past two games, he needs to step up and hit some shots. Hit some shots. So... At the end of the day, this series is going to be interesting. 
if the Clippers can keep running with the momentum they had gained going into this last two games, Kawhi Leonard and Paul George keep playing the way they're playing. Rondo plays the way he's playing. He's been a great add to the Clippers, might I add. But all that aside, I do think the Clippers do win game five tonight. I honestly think they do. They have all the momentum. Luka's neck is a question mark. If Luka's healthy tonight, it's going to be closer than people think. And the Mavericks might have a chance to steal another one on the road. But in the case that Luka isn't healthy, the way the momentum has shifted into the Clippers' favor, I do think that the Clippers win this game tonight. Do I think they win the series? They can. They probably will. If they win tonight, if they don't win tonight, things could be very interesting in L.A. All right, switching gears to football for a little bit. I want to talk a little bit more about this Julio thing because as of right now, it has been reported that Julio is down to three teams that have actually made an offer to trade for the all-pro wide receiver. Two of them I expected, and one of them, Completely shocked me out of nowhere when I heard that they were going after him. So the three teams that have made offers and required about the All-Pro Julio Jones are the New England Patriots, as expected, the Tennessee Titans, who have heavily been recruiting into Tennessee, are on there, so I'm not surprised there. And the third team, who has now all of a sudden become betting favorites to land the all-pro wide receiver Julio Jones. The Seattle Seahawks, my team, the Seattle Seahawks, have inquired on getting a trade done for the all-pro wide receiver. I'm going to talk about this for a minute because if Seattle somehow finds the capital to get Julio Jones, all-pro wide receiver Julio Jones, what could this mean for the Seattle Seahawks? That offense would be insane without, with Julio Jones. I mean, obviously you got Russell Wilson at quarterback. For who, like, you know what? I'm just gonna do. I know Julio probably doesn't listen to this podcast, but I'm gonna make my pitch for Julio Jones to come to Seattle. Somehow get his way in Seattle. Julio, you come to Seattle. You get an MVP candidate every year in Russell Wilson, who has been one of the best quarterbacks in the league for. A while now. He's an upgrader for Matt Ryan. He's a better quarterback than Matt Ryan. And he'll probably throw you some red red zone targets. <laughs> Finally get you some red zone targets in the end zone. You have guys like DK Metcalf and Tyler Lockett up there who will definitely get some attention from the top sec- secondary players in this league. So you'll definitely get your looks. <laughs> you'll definitely get your looks up there. And you would join, and you said you wanted to win, right? What team? There has there's only been few teams that have been winning since 2012 that have won more. Russell Wilson is probably one of the most winning quarterbacks. Wait, he is one of the most winning quarterbacks of since he's been here. Seattle Seahawks have been in the playoffs every year, except for one since Russell Wilson has been here. So, you somehow find his way to Seattle. I think the offense would be absolutely outstanding, would be pretty much unguardable from a standpoint. Because, yes, there are some great defenses out there, but receiver wise, you got two monsters 
Julio, and DK on the outside. And then you got Tyler Lockett, who's been Russell Wilson's probably his favorite receiver since he came to Seattle. So there's that. Now, for Seattle, what would be the benefits of him them making the move? Like I said, your offense would be absolutely ridiculous in the passing game. I mean, think about the targets Wilson will have. DK Metcalf, Tyler Lockett, Julio Jones, Will Disley, Ursua, if he's ever going to play. Let's see here. You also got Gerald Everett in free agency, so that's another great tight end target as well. I mean, who are defenders going to defend? I mean, you got Jalen Ramsey on the Rams. He's only he can only cover one of them. What are they going to do about the other two? What are they going to do? So it would be a big move. Also, you had the issues. Russell Wilson, you all were a little bit of odds. Going into the offseason, this would make a guy make the guy really happy to get get Julio. Trust me, it would be worth it. As for the Patriots and Titans, it makes sense for them too to go out and try to get him. Patriots are desperate need for a receiver. You got you got to get Cam Newton something to throw to, uh, and maybe Matt Jones a guy to throw to. I mean, Matt Jones coming in, he has wide receiver like Julio Jones to throw to right out the gate. He, he'd probably take it. For the Titans, Julio and A.J. Brown, 2,000-yard receivers every year. Ryan Tannehill is a very solid quarterback as well. He just needs more help besides A.J. Brown to throw the ball to. And obviously, Julio and that play action would be insane. So, yeah, that's all I got to think about the current situation with Julio Jones. Three interesting teams to go to. Maybe he finds his way, hopefully he finds his way to Seattle. As a fan, I'm hoping he finds his way to Seattle, but if he finds his way in any other one of these three teams, I think it'd be great for Julio. Alright, sticking with football, with OTAs underway, I think it'd be a good time to give you my top team ten teams going into OTAs. So at number one, I'm going one through ten. Number one, obviously you gotta put the defending Super Bowl champions at number one. Tampa Bay was able to bring back everybody that started on that Super Bowl team last year. I think with some of the draft picks they made in the NFL draft, I think this team still can be considered the best team in the league going forward. So, yeah, Tampa Bay, number one. Number two, I've got the Kansas City Chiefs. Honestly, last year they looked absolutely dominant. Until they ran into a buzzsaw in the Tampa Bay Buccaneers in the Super Bowl. This year, Patrick Mahomes says he wants to go 20-0. Which is honestly a possible goal, reachable goal for the Chiefs. They just look that good. I think with the offensive line additions they made in the offseason to keep Patrick Mahomes on his feet. I think he'll have a lot more time to throw this year than years past. So expect that offense to be as deadly as ever. Number three, I've got the Buffalo Bills. Buffalo last year made their all the way to the AFC Championship game this year. I think just another year of experience for Josh Allen. I think 
that experience for everybody is going to motivate them to play a lot better this year. I do think they're going to be the only real threat. One of two real threats to the Chiefs. I think there's only two teams in the AFC that can beat Kansas City this year. And I think Buffalo's one of them. So I have them here at number three. That and their defense got a lot better for their pass rushing need. I think the pass rushing need was one of the things they need to fill out. And they did that pretty well in the draft and for agency. Number four, I got the Rams. Defense is still very strong. They got guys like Matthew Stafford there to bolster the quarterback position, which probably was one of their only weaknesses going into next year. And now they trade Jared Goff and Matthew Stafford. I think this team is going to be a very scary pick going into this season. Might be the favorites to go to the Super Bowl this year. Maybe even to win it. We'll have to wait and see. Number five, I got the Cleveland Browns. I think this team is going to get a lot better than last year. Obviously, they got a rough start to the season this year, <laughs> having to go up against Kansas City right at the gate. But after that game, I think they have a really good chance to run the table in the AFC North. Baker Mayfield should have another year to improve. I think that receiving core, getting OBJ back, is going to be even crazier. That defense is going to get a lot better with the acquisitions of guy with Miles Garrett. Obviously, not acquisitions, but they got a lot of key guys like Johnson from the Rams. They short out their linebacking core in the draft this year. So I really think the Browns are going to be the favorite to win the AFC North this year. And I think they can make a lot of noise in the AFC. At six, they got my Seattle Seahawks. I mean, if Seattle could just find a way to put together this team properly, last year the offense was clicking, but the defense was not. And then near the end of the year, the offense sputtered. And the defense caught up. I like Shane Waldron as an offensive coordinator for this team. I really like the way he's going to run this offense for the Seattle Seahawks. It's going to be interesting, yeah, interesting to see how they move forward. And if they get Julio Jones, it could be interesting, to <laughs> see the least. They could definitely challenge the Rams in this division. At number seven, I have the Tennessee Titans. Obviously, they tried to show up their secondary last year, this year in the draft. Caleb Farley, Greg Newsom. I know they didn't get Greg Newsom. My bad. But they showed up the sec. Elijah Molden. That's what it was. Elijah Molden. They showed up their secondary this year in the draft. And again, another team in the run for Julio Jones. If they get Julio Jones, it's going to be in a problem. Obviously, with Derrick Henry. In the backfield, this team is going to be a force to be reckoned with. Right behind them, I have the Ravens. Yes, I have the Ravens behind the Titans. Even though the Ravens beat the Titans in the playoffs. Here's why. I think the Ravens are going to get a little worse this upcoming year. They need to go and get another playmaker for a guy like Lamar. I know they they drafted a wide receiver this year in the draft. But... And their defense is going to be superb. So I wouldn't be surprised if I put them higher up on this power ranking later on the line. But for now, I'm going to put them at eight. I just need to see a little more development from Lamar. Maybe some pass rushers come out and develop. Pass rushers. Pass catchers come out and develop themselves. And give great targets for him. Number nine, I got the Colts. Honestly, they have great defense. Great running game. Great offensive line. Pretty decent receiving core. 
but I'm still not sold on Carson Wentz quite yet. I need to see a little more of what Carson Wentz can do in this offense to see to see where I can put them up, see if I can move them up later in the list. I think the Colts are a really good team. They're definitely going to be neck and neck with the Titans in the South. But for now, I just don't see that. I don't know how Carson Wentz is going to play like Carson Wentz of old. And number 10, I got the Dolphins. I have the Dolphins here at number 10 because I think they're going to be a borderline. They're going to be a pretty decent team this year. It's going to be interesting to see how Tua Tagovailoa develops in his second year as a quarterback. Obviously, now they got some pretty good receivers for him in Devontae Parker. And they also got him. Jalen Waddle in the draft. So reuniting him with Jalen Waddle. It's going to be very interesting to see how that goes. Offensive line has been short up a little bit. And obviously, I think that defense got a little better as well. So, yeah, that's my power rankings. My top 10 power rankings for the OTA. OTAs. I could change this come preseason. When the preseason begins, I'll give you all an updated power rank, top 10 power rankings. But for now... I think those 10 teams are probably the 10 best teams in football. Notice how I did not put Green Bay there. I did not put Green Bay in here simply to the fact that this team without Aaron Rodgers is a question mark for me. If Aaron Rodgers was on this team, they probably would be in the top five. But for now, I made this ranking based off if Aaron Rodgers does not show up. If he does show up, my next O2, my next power rankings, the Packers will definitely be in them. But these power rankings were solely based off Aaron Rodgers not being in the building. Just to make that clear, if anyone wants to wonder about that. All right, on to baseball real quick. And I'm going to give you my MLB Team of the Week and Trash Can of the Week. So, for my Team of the Week this week, I'm giving it to the Chicago Cubs who in their last 10 games have won 9 of their last 10 and have now catapulted themselves into first place into the National League Central following a sweep of the San Diego Padres. Pitching The offense for the Cubs has started to come around at last. The pitching has been solid, and that's why the Cubs are here as my team of the week. For Trash Can of the Week, I'm giving it to the Texas Rangers, who have just been absolutely terrible as late. They're on a seven-game losing streak. And, well, they now find themselves in last place in the American League West. Kind of like how we all expected it to be. So, for now, Texas Rangers are the MLB trash can of the week. Big news in college basketball. Duke basketball coach Mike K, Mike K, Coach K, plans on retiring after this upcoming season. This is something that no one expected happening anytime soon. Coach K has been a staple in college basketball for the longest time, I feel like. Anytime you think of Duke basketball, you always think of Coach K. Coach Mike Krzyzewski. In his, he has been to five championships and won them. Has led them to five championships in 41 seasons as a coach of Duke. 41 seasons. He's been coaching for that long. Now, he also had a strong time 
as coach of the men's national team. So his staple in basketball has is pretty much been solidified at this point. Obviously, he got won some gold medals with the U.S. Olympic team, U.S. basketball and World Cups. He's won World Cups. He's won, obviously, Olympic gold medals. Honestly, like I said, he won national championships with Duke. It's going to be weird to see someone not named Coach K on the sideline during a Duke basketball game. It's so weird. John Schneider. John Shire, I believe. That's his name. John Shire. I think I'm pronouncing that right. Has a name as successor going to the next season. He played under Coach K from... 2006, 2010. So he's no, he's no, he no Coach K for a while. And he's going to take over after Coach K retires. So, what does that mean for basketball? So, college basketball, it's definitely going to be a weird sight. It's going to see how Duke basketball is going to look like after Coach K retires because he's been such a staple in that program for a long time. And a lot of a lot of people like Coach K, and that's why people players went to Duke. Coach K is one of those guys who didn't really just focus on basketball; he also focused on life. So it's gonna be weird. The North Carolina Duke rivalry is gonna look a little weird too, because now Roy Williams retired, and now Coach K is gonna retire. Duke Duke North Carolina rivalry is gonna look a little weird too. It's gonna look weird. It really is. <laughs> it's gonna be interesting to see how those two pro, how that rivalry is gonna look after the two two of the biggest staples of that rivalry are just gone, like gone. So to Coach K, I say congratulations. Have a great retirement. You definitely deserve this retirement. <laughs> and your and your staple in basketball. Has been cemented forever. Your legacy is cemented forever. As probably the greatest college basketball coach to ever coach this game. And that's saying a lot. Because there have been some great coaches in college basketball. And that's going to do it for this episode. Next episode, I'll probably talk about the end of the Eastern Conference first round and Western Conference first round as well as talk about some other sports-related things. Maybe hockey. <laughs> maybe some hockey. Maybe some baseball. Maybe some football. Who knows? You have to, you have to come back and find out. Until then, I'm out. <laughs>